It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I've on the Sword of the Spirit podcast, current events, and then. The main event topic, the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. I'll be talking about six differences between them. It all starts right after this. This is Benjamin Naeem here with all of you once again for another episode of the program. Tonight, I'll be talking about some current events. In particular, I want to go over an article in which, well, there's some freaky news. Mark Zuckerberg wants to make a brain chip. He wants, basically, transhumanism. I'll talk about that. Plus, I'm going to show you an example of fake news. I'm going to show you an example of the fake news media getting caught in the act, trying to fabricate a scenario that drums up support for another Middle Eastern war. And then the main event topic is what I'm, ta- is what I'm calling it, the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. I could spend hours talking about the differences between the two. So for this podcast, I've chosen six differences I'm going to cover on the show tonight. Six differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because there is so much confusion when it comes to what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament Testament, Covenant. You can use those two words interchangeably. What is the difference between the two? Some folks wrongly believe a ridiculously false heresy that says salvation was different in the Old Testament. A lot of these dispensational pastors out there who would teach that aren't even saved themselves. But we're going to find out the truth about this issue tonight coming up on the Sword of the Spirit podcast, the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. A lot of people will swing the other way and they'll just throw out the Old Testament completely now that we're under grace. And so they'll say things like, you can't preach out of Leviticus. You can't preach out of Exodus. Those aren't for you. And basically, they don't believe that those books even count anymore. Well, if God's law has been completely thrown out, then I guess we live in a state of anarchy today sanctioned by God. That sounds crazy because it's false and it's untrue and it's 
not even logical. So stay tuned for that. It's coming up here on the program live, sort of the spirit podcast. I do want to make an announcement right off the bat next Monday, right here on the show. I'm going to have a very special guest on, Brother Peter James from the Pillar and Ground YouTube channel. He'll be joining me as my special guest next Monday night, October 21st. That's 9 p.m. Eastern as usual, 8 p.m. Central. Brother Peter James will be here. We'll be talking about the prospect of a Christian theocracy. I put out a video that sparked some controversy this last week about how I would like to see a Christian theocracy. Obviously, we're not going to see that take place into the millennium, and that is the perfect implementation of a, Christ, of a Christian theocracy with God himself in charge. And that was God's original plan for the nation of Israel under the Old Testament. Didn't work out, though. Well, one day, God's law is coming back during the millennium. What would a Christian theocracy look like? What would it look like if we lived under a government that actually abided by the Word of God and His law? We'll find out. Of course, you can read the Bible to find that out, but we'll be talking about it next Monday night with a special guest, Brother Peter James from the Pillar and Ground YouTube channel. That's next Monday, October 21st. You don't want to miss that show. I really look forward to it. Brother Peter James is an interesting mind, an articulate guy, and certainly I think is going to make for a very good guest here on the program. Let's get started with a few items, a couple of things I wanted to talk about before getting into the meat and potatoes of the show, if you want to call it that. And it involves Mark Zuckerberg, as I bring the article up there. Hopefully you can see it. If you can't, chat room, go ahead and let me know. But Mark Zuckerberg apparently is teasing the idea of an AI brain chip. Now, I want you to just take a look at this guy. If you're watching the video feed, obviously, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see what's on the screen. But if you're watching live on YouTube, you can see this guy, Mark Zuckerberg. He looks like a demon. He looks like a space alien. He doesn't even look human. Look at those lifeless zombie eyes right there. I'm not even sure if they're real eyes. And this guy wants to spy on your family. He wants to socially engineer you to believe in the corporate, sanitized, mainstream media narrative. But here's the headline. You see it on your screen. Mark Zuckerberg teases AI brain chip, but it'll be different than Elon Musk's. Of course, Elon Musk has this same idea as well. Now, some of you might be thinking Mark of the Beast or something similar to the Mark of the Beast. That's actually not where I'm going with that right now. I think what we're seeing here is the transhumanist agenda being promoted by Mark Zuckerberg through this quote-unquote brain chip that he would like to see implemented, Elon Musk as well. There is an agenda for transhumanism, which is basically merging man with machine. The unsaved carnal mind knows it's going to die one day, and without Jesus Christ, of course, people who aren't saved, they go to hell, the second death, everlasting destruction. In order to get around that, human beings have tried to implement something called transhumanism, which is merging man with machine for the sole purpose of extending life on this earth and with the eventual goal of living forever. 
right now, the early stages of it are being used to enhance human features, things like brain power and strength and things like that. Let's get back to the article here so you could see for yourself. It says, if Silicon Valley were to put a team of tech bros together on a project to merge computers and people, the lineup wouldn't be complete without car and rocket man Elon Musk and the Valley's most dubious robot, Mark Zuckerberg. I want you to notice how this is worded by The Observer. They're trying to make it seem like it's fun. They're trying to make it seem like it's cute. They're trying to make it seem like it's, oh, it's just this cute little idea. He's trying to merge man with machine, and it's just all oh, tech bros, these geeks working together for the benefit of mankind. No, it's satanic. That's what it is. In all fairness, Musk has been proposed a plan to make an actual chip, which is meant to be inserted into human brains. That sounds disgusting. And you have to understand, when the mark of the beast is implemented one day by the Antichrist, they're going to brand it in the same way as this is being promoted right now, as this fun, cool, nerdy thing that perhaps Silicon Valley bros have come up with that you should all take because it'll make your life that much easier. Of course, if you're saved, it'll be impossible for you to take the mark of the beast because Jesus said that people who are saved are not going to be deceived by the Antichrist, and there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect, implying that it's not possible for the elect, people who are saved, to be deceived by the Antichrist. But anyway, getting back to the article, I don't want to get too far off track here. At a recent internal employee Q&A session, the Facebook CEO hinted that such technology could see promising use cases in Facebook's future augmented reality and virtual reality products. Augmented reality, this is what Pokemon Go was. If you were around for that, you if you were paying attention, I should say, for that, you know Pokemon Go was the mobile video game that was taking popular culture by storm. Of course, it ended up fading away like all fads do. But Pokemon Go utilized augmented reality. It's when they make video games merge with reality. And people were walking around like literal mindless drones with their phones, just like this, walking around in real life looking for Pokemon they can catch. People, how about you satisfy yourself with that which is real, with reality? But people so badly want to escape reality because reality for them is worse than it's ever been as people are sucked into endless consumerism and worldliness, which fails to bring them fulfillment. The only fulfillment you can ever find is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation, which is only found through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's one of the many benefits of getting saved. Not only is your soul sealed forever, you know where you're going after you die, but you also have an incredible sense of joy and fulfillment that a lost person simply doesn't understand. Knowing that God is your father, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And people out in the world who are obsessing over buying the next tech gadget or going out on Black Friday, Friday to trample over someone. And Black Friday season is coming up just right around the corner. Time flies. 2019 is going to be drawing to a, an end pretty soon. But anyway, people who obsess over that, 
and go out on Black Friday to try and find the best deals to trample over someone for a half-price toaster, they will never be satisfied. And so that's why you see people who are trying so badly to escape reality. They want to live in a virtual world. It's why people are addicted to video games. It's why people are addicted to television shows and talk about television shows as if it's real life. If you've ever stumbled upon some of these YouTube channels where they're reviewing television shows, where they're reviewing video games, they talk about it as if it's real. When Christians have discussions on what the Bible says, we talk about the Bible as if it's real because we're Christians, we believe the Bible is real. But these folks talk about television shows as if they believe the TV show is real, like it's their religion. It's crazy. And they argue with each other about who the best character is and what motivation a particular character really had, etc. All because they've rejected God, all because the life they have isn't fulfilling. But Christians, we find fulfillment in fellowship, in going to church, reading the Word of God, prayer. We know that we always have that in our lives. Again, I went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Let me get back to the article here. I tend to do that, is go off track, go down a rabbit hole. It's a weakness of mine. I'm trying to get better. Let's get back to the article. So augmented reality is what Facebook is trying to implement. And here's a quote from Zuckerberg himself. Brain-computer interface is an exciting idea, he says. Well, I don't think it's exciting. I, th I think it's satanic. I think it's similar to what the Antichrist will likely in implement when he's in charge. And by the way, I'm not saying this is the mark of the beast. Don't take anything I'm saying out of context here. The mark of the beast obviously isn't going to be implemented until Daniel's 70th week, until the, the uh, abomination of desolation, or the fifth seal, whatever you believe. But my point is, this is similar to it, you could argue, but I think what it more is a representation of is transhumanism. It says right here, uh, brain-computer interface is an exciting idea, Zuckerberg told employees according to a meeting transcript leaked earlier this month. The field quickly branches into two approaches, invasive and non-invasive. We're more focused on, I think, completely focused on non-invasive. Non-invasive is like you wear a band or glasses, you shine an optical light and get a sense of blood flow in certain areas of the brain. So what people want is to enhance their brain power. They want to use technology to do that. But according to the Bible, if you want to gain wisdom, you study the Word of God. That has plenty of wisdom, and you don't need a brain chip to understand it. You need the Holy Ghost. I'm against this sort of transhumanist garbage, but we see it is slowly being rolled out now as people turn to technology to enhance their lives. And I'm not saying tech all technology is bad. I'm using technology. And in some ways, it does enhance your life. But when you start merging man with machine, when you start bringing in the transhumanism to enhance brain power, which, by the way, is just the first step on a road that will lead to these tech entrepreneurs trying to find a way for people to live forever, that's where it gets devilish. Now, I want to show you this here via Twitter. This is an example, switching gears, this is an example of the fake news fabricating a story literally out of thin air. ABC News specifically 
out of thin air, trying to make it appear as if this violence going on in Syria right now is actually taking place in Syria involving the Kurds. And this is propaganda designed to spark the public to want war. Because the corporate media is in bed with the political establishment and the globalist elite who want a state of perpetual warfare to endlessly feed the military-industrial complex. It shouldn't shock you that this stuff happens, but I want to show you a brazen example here. Take a look at this, and I'll explain it after in case you don't understand. This video right here appearing to show Turkey's military bombing Kurds. So I'll pause it for a minute. On the left, and if you're not watching this on video, I'll describe it for you. On the left, you have video footage of so-called violence in Syria. On the right, you have a gun range in the United States. Okay? Literally, a gun range in the United States. In a Syrian they are war making town, it appear as the if Kurds, gun who fought alongside the right U.S. against ISIS, now is horrific reports Syria. of atrocities committed by Turkish fact fighters on those very allies. So they're sensationalizing this footage. They're, it's not even, they're just faking the footage. They're faking it. So people think, oh, wow, Syria's geopolitical state is in disarray right now. The United States needs to get involved. It is insane. And this is where they got their footage from. Knob Creek Night Shoot 2017. A gun range in America. ABC News took this footage and attempted to make it appear as if it was taking place in Syria to drum up support for more military intervention in the Middle East. If that isn't fake news, I don't know what is. And if that isn't going to make the general public wake up about this and shake them out of their trance, I don't know what is. And that's just a small example. We talked last week when I was on the air when I was on the air with, uh, what was his name? I forgot his name for a moment. The ex-CIA whistleblower, Kevin Shipp. When Mr. Shipp was on, we talked a little about WikiLeaks and how it exposed that corporate media outlets are in bed with political elites. And we see examples of that happening over and over and over again. But big media wants war because war brings them ratings and when they have ratings they're making money and all you want to do if you want to find out the root of corruption is follow the money doesn't that sound familiar doesn't the bible tell us that it is the root of all evil so here's what i'm trying to explain to you folks okay you have to understand that the people in the corporate media they have an agenda they have a narrative their job is to promote a narrative and get people to believe in that narrative. It's not about informing the public, because if it were about informing the public, their primary goal would be to present facts and then have you interpret those facts. But that's not the news today. Anytime you flip on cable news, it's people giving you their opinion without any actual fact, just opinion. It's all opinionated because it's narrative-driven news. They fabricate a narrative and then they twist facts in order to fit that 
narrative. That's what it's all about. That's what the news is. Whereas actual news would be giving you facts, allowing you to interpret those facts for yourself and come up with your own opinion. But the corporate media wants to socially engineer you to subscribe to a particular opinion, an opinion that aligns with a New World Order, globalist, anti-God, anti-family agenda. And I think that that small clip, just 16 seconds long, shows you the tactics they're willing to use, the deception and the lying and the dishonesty that they employ to brainwash you. So the average person watches that clip and thinks, man, there's a lot of violence going on. And there is, there is some conflict in that region, but they see the explosions and they see the drama and they see the effects, which is in reality a gun range in America, but they see that thinking it's going on in Syria, that the Kurds are behind it, thinking that American troops have to get involved there, when in reality the United States has no business invading a sovereign nation for the benefit of Israel and the military-industrial complex, which is the incestuous relationship between weapons manufacturers and government. But that's a different topic for a different time. Small example there. Let's move on now to something. This is the final article I want to get into before we move into the main event topic, which is sort of a gimmicky name for the topic at hand that I wanted to talk about on the show tonight. Check this out. CNN anchor Chris Cuomo apologizes for LGBTQ, which stands for something else, but we'll just go ahead and go with let God burn them quickly. Town Hall remarks. So CNN anchor Chris Cuomo, who is a total globalist shill, a leftist who hates God, very likely a reprobate, this guy made one remark that was honestly, you know, slightly, you could say, according to the left, according to progressives, politically incorrect, and he has to apologize for it. CNN primetime anchor Chris Cuomo apologized for making an insensitive remark, supposedly, during the cable news network's broadcast of a town hall event meant to elicit views on LGBTQ issues from Democratic candidates. So if you don't know what happened, this past week, the Democratic Party, they hosted what was essentially a fag town hall. It was about fags. It was about fag issues. It was about the queers. And it was about how they can pander to them even more. Because evidently, the Democrats haven't done a good enough job of pandering to these freaks. Now, the Republican Party is no better. They pander to them as well. They're milk toast and watered down. And if you're a mainstream Republican saying something as obvious as marriage should be between a man and a woman, let me hide. That constitutes a controversial opinion, according to them, when in reality it's as obvious as saying water is wet and the sky is blue. But anyway, they had this town hall to pander to pedophiles and freaks and Chris Cuomo made a remark that triggered some of these social justice warrior mental illness patients who could barely tie their own shoelaces. It says, Senator Kamala Harris, who's running for president, by the way, on Thursday at the event, told Cuomo her personal pronouns were she, her, and her. So this is literally what happened. And I would play the video for you, but 
I don't have it queued up, and frankly, it's just a waste of all of our time anyway, so I'll just summarize it. At this event, Senator Kamala Harris gets up, and after she introduces herself, she then informs everyone what her personal pronouns are because we live in clown world today where politicians who are running for president have to tell everyone what their preferred pronouns are because apparently there are a thousand genders out there so you have to make it clear that you identify as a woman or a man or an attack helicopter or whatever you quote unquote identify as because it's clown world that we live in today clown world let's keep going here Cuomo responded mine too so he makes a joke right because it's so insane that people have to do this they have to tell you what their personal pronouns are what they prefer to be called what their preferred gender is I guess Kamala Harris rolled out of bed that morning and decided she's a woman that day and Cuomo, recognizing how ridiculous this is deep down inherently, he responds and says, yeah, mine too, clearly making a joke. Now, here's how he responded to the controversy surrounding that on Twitter, because the people got upset with him. And look what it says right here. This is what he tweeted. When Senator Harris said her pronouns were she, her, and hers, I said mine too. I should not have. I apologize. I'm an ally of the LGBTQ community, and I'm sorry because I'm committed to helping us achieve equality. Thank you for watching our town hall. Please, please accept my apology. Please. I, want to, I just want to throw up. I just want to throw up that this is, this is what our society is today. Here's my apology to the LGBTQ community. Go to hell! Taking a page out of Pastor Shelley's book there. You say, why share a story like this? Because I want to show you that the pandering these people get. I mean, I saw a meme where Instead of the image in Babylon that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that giant statue that they were told to bow down to, instead of that statue, it was a giant rainbow flag or something to that effect for the Sodomites. And it said, you know, they don't want inclusiveness. They don't want tolerance. What they want is worship. What they want is for you to bow down to them and just incessantly apologize all the time and just, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. You know, and, and here's the thing. Whenever anyone apologizes to them or their sympathizers, it's never enough. It's never enough. And when you're dealing with reprobates, what you have to understand is, according to Romans chapter 1, one of their attributes is that they are implacable. What does that mean? It means they can't be placated. They can't be placated. So it doesn't matter how many times you apologize to them. It doesn't matter how many times you grovel at their feet. They'll never be placated. Now, Chris Cuomo is an evil puppet of the corporate media. But even when he went off script slightly, he had to get on Twitter and, like an obedient dog, apologize to those filthy beasts. And you know what's sad? 
even Christians do the same thing. Even independent, fundamental Baptists do the same thing. Even people who are supposed to be on our side of this spiritual warfare will apologize for what the Bible says and apologize for Christianity and apologize for men of God who get up and preach the word because they've sold out and they have no integrity and they have no backbone. This guy, Ben Shetler, he goes on to all these atheist programs and Ben Shetler is the son of Jim Shetler, the wicked devil from that from West Coast Bible Baptist College, West Coast Bible College, whatever it's called. The Bible college that churns out the effeminate sissies like Pastor Polka Dot and everything like that. Ben Shetler. He goes out and he goes on to all these different podcasts with atheists and he apologizes. He apologizes for Christianity. Practically. I mean, he doesn't say the words I apologize, but that's what he's essentially doing in effect. Going on there saying, I don't want to be hateful to anybody in the homosexual community, and I believe in speaking to them in love. Well, I hate them because the Bible says we should hate them, because the Bible says they're haters of God. And in Psalm chapter 139, David, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. I hate them with a perfect hatred. Now, I know I get into that a lot, and that's not what the podcast is about tonight, but my point is that you have Christians, so-called, like Ben Shetler, going on to atheist programs, representing Christianity, dragging Christ's name through the mud, looking like a giant sissy, a mamby-pamby little queer bait. And he mimics people like Chris Cuomo, who get on Twitter and grovel at the feet of the God-haters so we see that a lot of pastors today are doing that. And like I said, they're acting exactly like Chris Cuomo. They're acting exactly like these worldly puppets of the fake media. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. I'm going to recoup, get less angry, and talk some Bible tonight. Some interesting Bible doctrine. What's the difference between... That's a giant topic, and there's so much to cover. Therefore, I'm not going to hit all points, but I've got six that I'm going to talk about. Six main differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Wanted to hear some doctrine tonight as we say at Steadfast Jacksonville. Bars. And stay tuned, because the show will continue after this. Old Covenant versus New Covenant, right after this quick break.
Hey, this is Pastor Jonathan Schiller from Steadfast Baptist Church. Just wanted to give you the details about our upcoming conference, the Fire Breathing Baptist Fellowship, from November 20th to November 24th. We're going to meet at our church building at 5840 Jacksboro Highway in Fort Worth, Texas. We're going to meet at 6.30 this evening, and it's going to be a special service. We're going to have two sermons, and I'm very excited about that. On Wednesday evening, we're going to have Pastor Aaron Thompson from Sure Foundation, and we're also going to have Pastor Roger Menez from Verity Baptist Church in Sacramento, California. Then Thursday, we're going to do the same thing. So we're going to meet back in the same building at 6.30 p.m., but we're going to have a couple other guest preachers with us. We're going to have Pastor Grayson Fritz from Knoxville, Tennessee, come and preach for us at All Scripture Baptist Church. And then we're also having Pastor Joe Major from Faith Baptist Church in Violet, Louisiana. So they're going to be there uh, on Thursday evening. And then on Friday, we're going to also meet at the building at 6.30 p.m. And we're going to have Pastor David Bursons from Atlanta, Georgia. He's going to be coming from Stronghold Baptist Church preaching for us. And then we're also going to have Pastor Stephen Anderson from Faithward Baptist Church. So we've got a great lineup for those three nights. And then on Saturday, we're going to have a time of soul winning and fellowship. We're going to be meeting at the building at 9 a.m. and going out soul winning at 10 a.m. And then we'll kind of have a free lunchtime. And then we're going to be doing some ice skating later that afternoon. So we'd love for you to be able to join us for any and all of the events. We'll put some more details in the description below, as well as the information on Facebook. Share it everywhere. But we're really excited about this conference. Uh, on Sunday, we'll close off the, uh, the weekend. I'll be preaching both Sunday morning and Sunday evening services. So we'd love for you to join us for this time of fellowship. If you want any, uh, if you have any questions or you need any more information, you can always email the church at stepfastbaptistkjv at gmail.com. And we'd love to see you there. God bless and have a great day. My name is Matt Powell. I was in the Hebrew Roots Movement for almost two years, and a lot of the doctrines that they taught people, they hid on the surface, and they wouldn't just come out and actually tell me what they believed. And so all my friends in the Hebrew Roots Movement, a lot of them just didn't say, hey, I believe that you can lose your salvation. They would hide those beliefs. And so coming out of the Hebrew Roots Movement has been a blessing, and I hope that ultimately in this film that we can reach the people of the Hebrew Roots Movement with the Gospel. My name is David Dongera, and uh, I grew up in the Hebrew Roots Movement, and um, thank God today I know the truth. And looking hindsight, I think that a lot of the things that I experienced and learned, um, especially the doctrine, um, I think I can be a blessing to those that are still there today. In the late 1800s, modern Hebrew was invented. And when modern Hebrew was invented, the name Yeshua was invented with it. So when somebody says that they're going back to the original, they're not going back to the original at all. In fact, they're going back to a counterfeit. The name Yeshua was not invented till the 1800s. So to say that it's his original name is false. Thank everybody for watching the Sword of the Spirit podcast tonight live. Hello to the chat room, Maria YouTube 100, Pillar in Ground, who was exhorting me to get more angry. Brother Peter James, I'm going to pop a blood vessel here. It's not good for my health. Well, there is such a thing as righteous anger, all kidding aside. I do sometimes lose it, but it's not my intention. 
it really is not my intention to get up here and scream the whole time, but sometimes I just get passionate about things and I can't really help it. Faithful Word Baptist 1611, Andrew J., William Edward Hackman. I also saw Dustin Lone. And for those of you who follow Pastor Anderson's channel, he's a big part of the Stephen Anderson Uncensored Q&A live stream. And the Fed is in there as well. I agree with that. And the Fed. Talked about that last week on the show. If you're just tuning in for the first time, I saw a question in there from someone, I forgot exactly who, about whether or not you can tune into this show outside of YouTube. You can. The audio-only podcast it's available on the Stitcher Radio app and also on Apple Podcasts. So if you just search for the term Ben the Baptist, use all one word, you will find Sword of the Spirit there and you could subscribe to it and get the podcast every single week. It's uploaded as soon as the show goes off the air. It might take some time. It might appear probably the next morning, Tuesday morning. But regardless, there is another way for you to tune in other than just YouTube. And I think that's one of the reasons why I even wanted to start this is to give people an alternate platform to listen to this show because there is going to come a day in which I can't upload to YouTube anymore, unfortunately. And I'm sure one of these podcasts will eventually get taken down from YouTube. So for now, since I'm under the radar on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, I'm using them until I eventually get taken off there and then I'll have to find another place to broadcast the message. But Jesus said to go to the highest hilltop and preach from there. So that's what I'm trying to do and turn hearts and minds to Christ. Now, one aspect of the show is I don't only like to talk about current events, which I do regularly, but I also like to do interviews on this show. And next Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time, I'm going to have a very special guest from the Pillar and Ground YouTube channel, which was on hiatus for a little bit, but is now back, and you could argue it's better than ever, with Brother Peter James, Pillar and Ground. Make sure you subscribe to it now, or when the show goes off the air, whenever you find to be most convenient. But Peter James will be here next Monday, 9 Eastern, and we will be talking about the implementation of a Christian theocracy, what that would look like. We'll see the perfect implementation of that when Jesus Christ literally rules and reigns from Jerusalem one day, starting at the millennium. But what exactly would a Christian theocracy look like? Why would we like to see one? Brother Peter James will be here to discuss that topic with me next Monday at 9. Can't wait for that. A lot of atheists, a lot of God-haters and watered-down Christians would shudder to think about a Christian theocracy. They don't like it. A lot of Christians, and I'm about to get into this here, they pretend like the book of Leviticus doesn't exist, and a lot of them say things like, well, the Jews, they believe the Old Testament, Christians believe the New Testament, as if Christians have completely thrown out the Old Testament. Wrong. Lies. And by the way, the Jews don't believe in the Old Testament because if they believed in the Old Testament, they'd believe in Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus said? that if they received Moses and the prophets, they would have received him. But they didn't. The reason why they rejected Christ 
and the, the reason why they reject Christ today is because they reject the Old Covenant. If you watch Marching to Zion, you'll see a lot of these Jews don't even believe the stories in the Old Testament are supposed to be taken literally, but rather figuratively. They're also very liberal from a social standpoint as well. So something to keep in mind, a talking point for whenever someone tells you, well, the Jews believe the Old Testament and Christians believe the New Testament. Wrong. No, they don't. Now, what is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? That's what I want to get into here for the remainder of tonight's broadcast. Now, this is a very heavy, meaty topic, and so I'm not going to be able to get into all the differences tonight in great detail. But when you're doing a podcast, I think it would be prudent for you to at least just touch on the surface level, fundamental level issues when it comes to doctrine. And in this scenario, I think when it comes to the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant, I just want to give you guys the fundamentals, something that you can take, a good foundation that you could take with you and then build on in your own study. I don't have all the answers. I don't pretend to have all the answers. But what I do like to talk about is, again, fundamental truths that you can take and then build on yourself. Six points I want to cover tonight. Six points I want to cover tonight. Six differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So let's dive right in here. The first difference is that the Old Covenant law was written on tables of stone, whereas the New Testament, in the New Testament, God's law is written on your heart. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And of course, in the New Testament, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8, which, by the way, the book of Hebrews is essentially a commentary on the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible because it explains to you what the carnal ordinance is and all these different Old Testament pictures actually represented and what their fulfillment is in the New Testament. It's a great book. And I really enjoy studying it. It says in Hebrews 8:10, for this is the covenant that I will make with their with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. What I believe that's referencing is the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, is who you're sealed with when you get saved. And so in that manner, God's law now written on your heart rather than on tables of stone, which is what they were written on, obviously, when it comes to the Old Covenant, written on tables of stone, and then placed in the Ark of the Covenant. We know that Moses broke those tables when he saw the Israelites worshiping a golden calf. When he saw idolatry permeating Israel, he got angry, and those tables were broken, picturing that even Moses broke the Old Covenant. Even Moses broke the Old Covenant. The second difference regarding the priesthood is that the Old Covenant priesthood was hereditary, whereas the New and physical, the New Testament priesthood is spiritual, and under the New Covenant, it doesn't matter who your daddy is. It doesn't matter what lineage you come from. We're all one in Christ Jesus 
whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you're male or female, whether you're black or white, green or yellow, I don't care what color you are, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have something in common with me. You're saved, and you have the Holy Spirit, and you're of Christ. It says in Exodus 29, in verse 44, and I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation in the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. When it comes to the high priest, it had to be someone who was Aaronic, meaning that it was someone who was of Aaron, his sons. And the priesthood, in general, was a Levitical priesthood, meaning that in order to be a priest, you had to be of the tribe of Levi. Well, in the New Testament, that changed. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that because there was a change of the priesthood, that signified also a change of the law. But it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, a famous scripture, in my estimation at least, and a good one to go to if you want to try and prove replacement theology. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but ye, talking to a audience that is not exclusively Jews, by the way. This is a Gentile audience. This epistle was written to the saints in Asia Minor. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So under the new covenant, when you get saved, you become a priest. Now, here's why that makes sense. Because when you get saved, you now have access to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus by his authority. Now, in the Old Testament, one of the ways in which people communicated with God or had access to God was through the priesthood. Well, now you are a priest when you get saved. Another reason why the priesthood in Catholicism is a satanic lie and a counterfeit. When you get saved, you yourself become a priest. And I'm not talking about these pedophile priests in a box who listen to people confess their sins to them and do horrific things to children. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a true biblical priest according to New Testament Christianity. Now, when it comes to the high priest, like I mentioned moments ago, they were Aaronic. They had to be Aaron's sons. Now, when it, you know, with respect to that, there were many high priests in the Old Testament. It was hereditary. It was physical. Also, in the Old Testament, there were multiple sacrifices done. It wasn't just one sacrifice. There were sacrifices done on a set schedule. Also, the high priests in the Old Testament were sinners. The Bible tells us that there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So, every man who's ever been born is a sinner. Jesus Christ was not a sinner because God can't sin. But the high priests in the Old Testament were sinners because they were men. They offered sacrifices for themselves and for the errors of the people, the Bible says. They offered animal sacrifices. They entered a tabernacle that was made by man. And, as I said earlier, 
they offered a way for people to communicate with God. Now, here's the difference between that, between the high priests in the Old Testament and the high priest, Jesus Christ, who's revealed as our high priest in the New Testament. There's one high priest. Now, this is what that priesthood is picturing. What does the high priest picture? He pictures Jesus Christ, our high priest. By the way, there's just one, and it's Jesus. And there's also the high priest, Jesus Christ. He offered just one sacrifice forever himself from the foundation of the world. The Bible says that he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Bible says that all he had to do was die one time. Why do you think Moses was rebuked by God because he smote the rock twice? He was rebuked because Moses smiting the rock twice pictures Jesus Christ being smitten twice because the rock pictures Christ. Well, Jesus didn't have to be smitten twice. He only had to die once. And of course, Jesus was not a sinner, like I've already touched on. The Bible says that he knew no sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He offered a sacrifice solely for the transgressions of others, whereas the high priests who were men in the Old Testament offered sacrifices for themselves also. Jesus offered himself rather than an animal sacrifice, and he entered a heavenly tabernacle, whereas the high priests, Aaron's sons, they entered a physical tabernacle. And also, Jesus Christ, he offers us a chance to pray directly to God the Father through his authority. Now, the Old Testament sacrifices, here's another difference between the Old Covenant and the New covenant is that the Old Testament sacrifices were physical, whereas the New Testament sacrifices are spiritual. The Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter 2, and when they will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take thereout his handful of the flour thereof and of the oil thereof with all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be made an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now that's just an example of one of the many offerings that had to be made in the the old uh, under the old covenant. This one right here is the meat offering. They also offered up animals as a sacrifice. But the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Whereas in the Old Testament, they offered up physical sacrifices and physical offerings. In the New Testament, we offer up spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices, for example, like being thankful, offering up praise to the Lord, and being gracious and thankful to God. There are other spiritual sacrifices you could offer as well. The fruit of your lips, the Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter 13. And your body. The Bible talks about your body being offered as a living sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice. So that's a change there. Under the Old Covenant, we know that the sacrifices picture Jesus Christ. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 7, 
talking about Jesus, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once, in that he offered up himself. And of course, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, how much more shall the blood of Christ? It's, it, actually, it says in, in verse number 13 of that chapter, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the, and the uh, ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So we see a contrast being made there between the bulls and goats that were offered and Jesus. That if they were, if they, uh, were able to make, they sanctified the flesh rather in the Old Testament, if that's what they were able to do, then imagine what Jesus could do, what his one offering did for you in a spiritual sense. The offering, the sacrifices, all that physical in the Old Testament, whereas in the New Testament it was spiritual. Now another comparison you could make is that in the Old Covenant, they dwelt in a physical nation. That's what was associated with that Old Covenant, whereas a spiritual nation is associated with with the new covenant. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 3, "Hear therefore O Israel and observe to do it that it may that it may be well with thee and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey." And it was that land that flows with milk and honey that God had sanctified, set apart and preserved for the children of Israel to inherit a land he wanted them to inherit, to be a physical nation so that they can be a light to the Gentiles, so that they could be separate and sanctified, a different nation compared to the heathen nations surrounding it and the nations that at one point occupied the land. God wanted those nations to be expelled in favor of Israel. Of course, they failed at being a light to the Gentiles. They failed at being sanctified. They broke God's covenant with them. And so they were vomited out of that land. We know that in 70 AD, the Roman Empire came in and stomped them out. Well, now Jesus Christ, of course, he tells us. And we know, according to Matthew chapter 21, this truth has been revealed. When Jesus said, the kingdom shall be taken, the kingdom will be uh, taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And so in the New Testament, we dwell in a spiritual nation, the spiritual nation of Israel. The prerequisite to be a citizen is for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Galatians 6, 16, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. If you're saved, you're a part of the Israel of God, a spiritual nation that has existed going all the way back to the beginning. That does include the Old Testament. It's a spiritual nation that has always existed. And it's that spiritual nation that the Bible talks about in Romans eleven twenty six, when it says, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is, as it is written, there shall come, come out of Zion a deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. We know that occurred when Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose again. God's new covenant that he made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah is speaking to a spiritual nation, the spiritual seed that the Abrahamic covenant applies to.
Now, the uh, next point I want to make, I'm not sure if this is my fourth point or not. I'm not sure I've lost count. But anyway, we'll move on here. The Old Covenant contained carnal ordinances, diverse washings, meats, drinks, etc., whereas the New Covenant contains ordinances such as the Lord's Supper and baptism. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 5, Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast, or a carcass of unclean cattle, or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. So what's this talking about? This is the law regarding the clean and the unclean. I think the primary purpose of this law was to sanctify the children of Israel from the heathen nations surrounding it so that they're different. Now, there might be a spiritual application. I'm not sure what that is yet. Hopefully, I'll find out one day. There was a dietary law as well instituted under the Old Covenant. It says in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 7, and the swine, this is just an example, and the swine, though he divide the hoof and the cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is unclean to you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. So under the Old Covenant, there was a dietary law, and there were certain meats, there were certain foods that they couldn't eat that were considered unclean. Now, the error of the Hebrew roots Judaizers, those antichrists who reject the gospel and hate Jesus Christ, they call his name accursed, and the Bible says that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. You heard the promo for the upcoming documentary against the Hebrew Roots Movement being produced by Brother Matt Powell coming soon. Make sure you tune in for that when it's released. But anyway, the error of false heretics like them, those deceivers, is that they believe the dietary law still applies today and that you need to avoid eating shellfish and that you need to avoid eating certain foods. But in reality, the dietary law has been fulfilled. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 9. Let me flip over there real quickly. Hebrews chapter number 9, it tells us in Hebrews chapter number 9, it says, The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, listen to this, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until what? Until forever? No, un imposed on them until the time of Reformation. Now, it would have been forever if the Old Covenant was kept forever, but... What does the Bible say in Hebrews chapter 8? For finding fault with them. He saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. They're the ones who broke the old covenant. It was the Jews who couldn't handle it. Now, the dietary law has been fulfilled. It was imposed until the time of Reformation, which is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And of course, he was buried and he rose again the third day at Calvary. The Bible also says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that those who would teach people to abstain from meats 
are teaching a doctrine of devils. That's what the Hebrew Roots Movement teaches, a doctrine of devils. Now, of course, we do know that in the Old Testament, there were certain feast days that they had to adhere to. And I'll give you some examples of that. You had the Passover. The Passover pictures the blood of the lamb covering your sins, particularly the blood of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, covering your sins for salvation so that when the blood was applied on the doorposts in Egypt, that blood enabled the children of Israel to not be affected by the wrath of God back then. Well, the same thing is true if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood protects you from God's wrath and it passes over you, just as sure as it passed over the Israelites who were captives in Egypt. This is unrelated, but somebody says in the chat room, Bro J Stu KJV, USA equals Babylon. Now that's end times, we're not talking about that, but I do agree. I do agree. I just want to get some comments from the chat. We've also got some other uh, things here. Grammy Steven, or I should say Grammy Seven. <laughs> Steven, that's a man's name. Grammy Seven says, so glad to know the spiritual seed. Amen to that. Grammy Seven also says, yes, praise the Lord for taking me out of the demonic Roman Catholic Church. That's right. The Roman Catholic Church is demonic. It's wicked. They teach a false doctrine. It's not Christianity. They teach a false gospel and many false doctrines, I should say. But anyway, the Passover is an example of that, and I showed you what it pictures. Also instituted under the Old Covenant is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which took place the day after the Passover on the 15th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar year. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread symbolizes the sinlessness of Jesus Christ because leaven typifies sin. The Feast of the First Fruits is another example, which clearly symbolizes the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our first fruits from the dead. So those are just some examples there. But the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 23, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and saying to them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convo convocations, even these are my feasts. And so there were certain feast days that they had to keep under the old covenant. It was an, it was an important aspect of being a part of that physical nation of Israel. But as members of the spiritual nation of Israel, you don't have to worry about keeping any feast days because they've been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Colossians 2.16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. You don't have to keep the Sabbath. You don't have to keep these feasts anymore under the new covenant. What we do keep under the new covenant is the Lord's Supper. And the Bible talks about that. I'll give you an example. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says in verse 24, And when he had given thanks, he break and it said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Paul quoting what Jesus said. After the same manner also, he took the cup which he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So clearly, I gave you a few examples there of the feast days and how the Passover, 
points to, Jesus Christ being slain and his blood covering our sin, making it possible for God's wrath to pass over us, the wrath that you would have experienced in hell had you not gotten saved. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Sinlessness of Christ, the Feast of the First Fruits, etc. And the Feast of Weeks, which points to the day of Pentecost. Those point to things that have been fulfilled by Christ, but the, 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 the Lord's Supper, that points back to what Jesus Christ accomplished for us at Calvary. In verse 27, when it says, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the, bloody, the body and blood of the Lord, is talking about those who would participate in the Lord's Supper while not being saved. That's a bad idea. I'll just leave it at that. Different topic for a different time. We also have baptism in the New Testament, which should be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Why? Because God is a trinity. There is one God, and he is Father, Son, Holy Ghost, three distinct persons with three wills and three centers of consciousness, yet they are one God. And so when Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ, sorry, I like to look down at the chat from time to time just to see what's going on in there. It can get crazy at times. But when Jesus established baptism, when he made that commandment, notice what he says in Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You say, well, what about the book of Acts when the apostles are baptizing in the name of Jesus? Well, I believe they were doing that by the authority of Jesus, not verbatim in the name of Jesus. What they said verbatim is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That, of course, points back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there are certain ordinances that we follow under the New Covenant, but of course they're different than the Old Covenant because there has been a change also of the law, just as sure as the priesthood has been changed. So... These are some of the things that have been changed. Now, notice I didn't say anything about God's moral law. So, when I and others preach Leviticus 20.13, that's just as relevant today as it was when Moses received the law at the top of Mount Sinai. And if you don't like that, then go cry about it. Because that's Bible for you today, and we need more men to stand up for the Word of God. Leviticus 20.13 and God's moral law in general is still relevant. It hasn't been done away with. When I quoted to you Hebrews chapter 9, did you notice it said nothing about his moral law? And that's part of the reason why I wanted to record this podcast tonight. Because it's so important to understand the true distinction, not the distinction that you hear people making in the world and unsaved false prophets who can't understand scripture because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Another difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, point number five, is that when it comes to the Old Testament, God dwelt in a physical temple, whereas in the New Testament, God dwells in your body. You have the Holy Ghost inside you if you're saved. 1 Kings chapter 9, notice what it says in verse number 2. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 2, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there 
perpetually. So God dwelt in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God. It was placed in the tabernacle. That's where God dwelt. Now, in the New Covenant, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So watch how you live, Christian. You got to watch how you live. You got to make sure that you're not defiling the temple of God through fornication or adultery or other sins because God might decide to destroy your temple and take you home early. Didn't he destroy the temple in the Old Testament? Oh yeah, he did. He sent Babylon to destroy it. And then guess what he did after that? He sent the Roman Empire to destroy it in 70 AD. So if he would destroy that building, he, make no mistake about it, he can and will destroy your body if you as a saved Christian decide to go out and live like the heathen and live like the world and commit wicked sins and backslide. Finally, the last point I want to talk about tonight, the new covenant brings spiritual salvation. The new covenant brings spiritual salvation. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So the New Testament, those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that covers the transgressions that were under the Old Testament. Romans 8 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So what was the purpose of the law? To bring you to Christ. It's a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. And before Christ came, they called on God for salvation. It was always by faith. And guess what? Under the Old Testament, when they called on God for salvation, it was just as sure. Their sins were paid for just like that as if it had already happened because Jesus is the lamb slain, as if the death, burial, and resurrection had already happened because Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Salvation has always been by faith. The New Testament saves, but that new covenant applies to the transgressions that were under the Old Covenant. So those people who couldn't keep God's law even though they were living before Christ's earthly ministry, the reality is simple. If they called on God for salvation, if they believed on God for salvation, they were saved. Galatians 3.21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for there had been a law, I'm sorry, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been given by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all understand that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. According to the Bible, if there was a law that could give, that could offer you righteousness, that could make it possible for you to go to heaven, then righteousness itself would have been by the law. But that's not the case. And in fact, it's never the case, no matter what the dipstick liars tell you, it's never been the case. Salvation has always been by faith. It'll always be by faith, and it was always by faith, going back to the very beginning. But the difference is, though, the old covenant, God's law, couldn't save anyone. Nobody can keep it. But the new covenant saves, 
and it covers the transgressions that were under the Old Covenant as well. So those are some of the differences between the two. The error, again, and I know I've touched on this a lot, but the error of many people out there is they just say, all right, let's just throw out the Old Testament now. But if that were the case, then we would also have to throw out God's moral law, which is total and complete nonsense, because that would mean it's permissible for you to go out and murder people now. But that's obviously not the case. God's moral law still stands. And we know he supports the death penalty. We know that he supports certain measures to try and root out sodomites, like stoning them to death. That's Leviticus 20.13. And we know what he feels about these people. We know what he feels about murder, that murderers should be put to death. We know how he feels about adultery. These things haven't changed. And the thing is, you have to think about it like this. And I've, done, I've brought up this example before, but if I were to tell my wife, if I were to tell her this, look, you don't need to cook dinner anymore. I'll cook dinner from now on. You don't have to do it anymore. Does that mean, since there's been a change of that aspect of the law in the Naeem household, that all of a sudden she can just throw out everything else? Does that mean she could wear pants now? Does that mean she could just do whatever she wants? No, of course not. Jesus Christ and the New Testament in general articulates to what, what specifically has been changed and the things that haven't been changed, it's not necessary for Jesus to reiterate those things again in the New Testament because you can just read about them in the Old Testament. It's that simple. So that's why I wanted to do this podcast, because I think this truth needs to be spelled out for people so that there can be a little bit less confusion and we can not be smeared when we preach out of the New Testament when we preach out of Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, etc. Because that stuff, the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And there are still things that apply today, God's moral law. But there are differences. And I think that this video or this YouTube, this podcast, what I should say, encapsulated some of those differences. But folks, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. I want to thank the audience for tuning in, tuning in, bearing with me through this live stream. And if you liked it, come back again next time. I want to see you again in the chat room. If you listen live, be there next Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. I'll be here with Brother Peter James. He's going to be the special guest for the show. I can't wait for that show. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be talking about what a Christian theocracy might look like if it were to be implemented. And we know it will be during the millennium. And that'll be fun when God brings back his law, when Jesus Christ rules with a rod of iron, a lot of liberals, a lot of watered down people out there, uh, watered down so-called Christians. They're not going to be very happy about that but it's going to happen whether they like it or not. And so I can't wait to talk about that topic next week with Brother Peter James. His YouTube channel is Pillar and Ground. Make sure you subscribe to it, and he'll be here next Monday at 9 Eastern. Until then, this is Benjamin Naeem signing off. Another episode of the program is in the books. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Thank you to 
Maria YouTube 100. We've got Blessed Be. Be. What does it say here? Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. KJB NIFB Onlyest. That's a long YouTube channel name there, but thank you for tuning in. Safari Sam, Andrew J, and others in the chat room. I do really appreciate your support. Hit the subscribe button if you'd like some more content. But for now, I'm going to sign off. God bless you all. And I'll talk to you guys again after a while. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.